<clears throat> now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing, discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know these things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman, women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening, and let me add my welcome to you tonight. It's great to have you with us. Let's pray as we begin. Our Father in heaven, we pray tonight that you would help us to see Jesus, whether we are new to Christianity or have been walking with Christ many years, please open our eyes afresh to Jesus. And we pray that the risen Lord Jesus, by his Spirit, will be with us tonight, helping us to understand these words about him. We pray this for your glory. Amen. If only... I could see, then I would believe. If only I could see Jesus face to face in the flesh. If, if only I could see him perform a miracle or, or somehow prove to me his deity, his power, then I would believe. I'm sure we've heard that 
reaction before. Maybe we've been speaking to a friend or colleague about Jesus, and they've said to us, if only I could see, then I would believe. And one of the claims about Jesus, which most often provokes that reaction, is the very thing that we are celebrating on this Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus. And when people come to the resurrection, so often they say, if only I could see the resurrected Jesus, then I could believe such an astonishing claim. And it's at this point that people like Richard Dawkins are critical of Christianity. He says that Christianity is a blind leap in the dark. It is not based on any uh, proofs. We we cannot see it, uh, and therefore we cannot trust it. Whereas for Dawkins, science is based on sight, things that we can see, results that we can observe and repeat. And so for Dawkins, science wins. If only I could see, then I will believe. So what are we to make of the resurrection tonight? We cannot see Jesus tonight, I take it. We are 2,000 years too late for that. Maybe we're not Christians. Maybe we're here tonight just to explore what Christians believe. Or maybe we've been walking with Christ for many years, and yet we've always struggled deep down in our hearts, to really believe that it is possible for Christ to come back from the dead. If only I could see, then I would believe. It is not a new problem. You can just imagine the two disciples in our reading from Luke 24 thinking the same thing. Verse 13 sets the scene for us. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. We don't know much about these two disciples. Um, We do know, crucially, that the events that are about to be described happened on the same day. Uh, That is, the day when some women went to the tomb of Jesus and they found the tomb empty and that they were told Christ has been raised. The same day that these women returned to the disciples, and the disciples, verse 11, did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. These two disciples were from that larger group who thought this report was nonsense. And so they are now on their way to Emmaus, They are convinced that Jesus uh, was was killed. And yet now they're grappling with these confusing reports that his tomb is empty and that some are saying he's alive. They are confused and yet remain unconvinced. And you can just imagine Cleopas turning to his friend and saying, if only I could see, then I will believe. What we have before us is a brilliant story full of suspense and irony and ultimately joy, but it is also a shocking story. It is shocking because the answer is no. 
We wouldn't. Not necessarily. We wouldn't necessarily believe if we saw the risen Jesus. Because there are forces at work within us when it comes to what we believe. Which are more than simply the light photons that are hitting our retinas. There are more forces at work that, that decide what we believe than what we just physically see with our eyes. Don't get me wrong, the, the physical appearance of Jesus is crucial. Uh, Luke tells us back in chapter 1 that he has carefully investigated everything, has talked to eyewitnesses to write an orderly account so that his readers could be certain of the things he is writing about. The, the eyewitness accounts of Christ are crucial to our faith, but they are not the full picture. Look at what happens in verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Now this is a perplexing verse. This is Jesus' great moment. This is the first time anybody in Luke's gospel has seen the risen Jesus. This is the great climax, the chance for Luke to really show off exactly how impressive Jesus is. And it's a bit of a disappointment, is it not? There's no recognition. He's missed. These two disciples who knew Jesus completely had no idea who he was. They did not recognize him. And it's not because he was wearing a hoodie or sunglasses or was wearing some kind of disguise. No, their lack of recognition, well, it was down to a spiritual blindness. Um, it's as if the disciples were wearing a pair of sunglasses, which meant that they just could not see Jesus. That there was something about their spiritual perspective on life which stopped them from recognizing the physical Jesus. I can't see a thing wearing these, so I'm going to take them off, but you get the point. This is a spiritual issue. This, this lack of recognition that their eyes weren't working, it's a spiritual thing. And throughout Luke's gospel, the, the importance of eyesight to see spiritual things is a massive theme. I had a great time this week looking at, um, I think, 10 or so different accounts in Luke's gospel of how our eyes are meant to see properly. So um, Simeon, in chapter 2 of Luke's gospel, says this. Okay, that slide up. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is spoken about a little baby, some a few months old. And yet with the eyes of faith, Simeon says, this baby is going to be the source of our salvation. It is a spiritual insight into a physical state. Or later on in Luke chapter 19, we read, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. It is hidden from your eyes. Not physically, because physically Jesus is present in Jerusalem. They, they can see him physically, but who he is spiritually, it is hidden from their eyes. They are blind to his significance. And so when we come to Luke 24 and we read in verse 16 that um, 
the disciples are kept from seeing Jesus. Literally, their eyes are blocked. This is a spiritual problem. It's not that Christ was so changed or altered that he was unrecognizable physically. No, it's a spiritual blindness. So why does Luke give us this seemingly obscure account of two disciples wandering home after the weekend? Why is it here? Well, it's not just an account of two people walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's actually an account of two people on a spiritual journey from blindness to sight. By the end of our story, these two men have their eyes opened and they see Jesus and they are full of joy. So how do they go from blindness to sight? How does it happen? And again, I would say the historical nature of the Gospels are crucial and we must do work to to hunt around and find out why we can trust the eyewitness accounts of Christ. But tonight, I want to focus on this spiritual side of believing because there are more forces at work within us when it comes to what we believe than what passes through our eyeballs. And as Jesus journeys with these disciples and as he gradually opens their spiritual eyes to who he is, I think we get a glimpse into what he's doing in our lives, how he's changing our wrong thinking and our wrong attitudes and perspectives on life. If you like, he takes off their old spiritual glasses and gives them new ones that they may see him properly. So very briefly, how do these two disciples go from blindness to sight? Well, I think they have, there's three mistakes they make about Jesus. And I'll look at those three mistakes in turn. The first mistake is this, a mistake about death. These disciples made a mistake about death. As a schoolboy growing up near Edinburgh, I often went to watch Scotland play rugby in Merrifield. And I used to go with high hopes, with great expectations of triumph, of, of bragging rights. But after about 80 minutes, I would stumble out of the stadium, destroyed, depressed, inconsolably upset, full of what-ifs and if-onlys, because Scotland had lost again. And there was a similar mood in the camp as these two disciples stumble home dejectedly after the weekend. They think it is all over because their prophet has died. And their blindness is so clear in verse 18. They say to Jesus, this person they meet on the road, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? It's ironic, isn't it? And it, it, it just shows how blind they are because the person they're speaking to, Jesus, is no visitor to Jerusalem. He is, in fact, the king of Jerusalem. Far from being the one person who is ignorant of the events of Easter, he's in fact the one person who truly knows the events of Easter. These two disciples are completely blind to Jesus. And they go on to explain their version of the events. So in verse 19, Cleopas says, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
we had hoped. For Cleopas, it was all over. Death was the end, the, the final whistle. All the potential, all the hopes and dreams of redemption and victory were gone in one, one moment as Christ died on the cross. Or at least that's how Cleopas saw it. He was mistaken about death. He could see no way around death, no future. It was this presupposition, this perspective on death, which meant he had no room in his mind for the thought that Christ could come back, that death was not the end. And it's this, this lens on reality which blinded him to the truth about the man he was speaking to on the road. A mistake about death. And we see this view so often today, don't we? In a world that lives in the here and now, a materialistic world who does not acknowledge the spiritual or the eternal. People increasingly do not believe in life after death, not based on any evidence, not based on any careful thought, and yet a firmly held belief nonetheless. And yet the message of Luke 24 is that there is a resurrection. Death is not the end. We must not be mistaken about death. That's the first mistake that comes clear in this journey. The second mistake is a mistake about Jesus. It seems that Cleopas and his friend were looking for the wrong Messiah. Uh, yes, in the Old Testament, uh, there was talk about a prophet who would come, who would be powerful in word and deed, who would rescue God's people. They were right on that front. But this is not the only thing that Scripture had to say about God's king. And so Jesus goes on to explain in verse 26, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. They were mistaken about Jesus. He had to suffer first before entering glory. The path of the Messiah was not a path straight to glory, not a path straight to political power. It was a path first to humility and a Roman cross. It was the path of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. They were mistaken about Jesus. Now here is where the rubber hits the road for us. It is it is one thing to believe in a Messiah who will bring political freedom and autonomy. That is not a hard sell. It's an attractive option. It is quite another thing to believe in a Savior who says that your sin is so serious, your helplessness so severe, that he had to die for you. The message of the suffering servant is a humbling message. It is a message that pulls the rug from under our pride and our self-reliance, which means that we have a vested interest in the gospel being wrong. I don't know if you've ever been shopping and you've ever had one of those shopping trolleys which has a mind of its own and always wants to veer off to the right or whatever. No matter how hard you push it in a straight line forward, it seems just to constantly veer away maybe crashing into a, a display of champagne bottles or something. But um, I guess you know what I'm talking about. But 
in a way, we are all like shopping trolleys spiritually. We have an inbuilt bias in us which wants to veer away from the gospel. We don't want it to be true because it tells us that we have sinned, that we have fallen short of God's standards, and that we are helpless and need a rescue. And it seems that Cleopas was completely mistaken about Jesus. He thought that he had come to lead a rebellion and had failed. In fact, Christ had come to die for sins and had succeeded. And this mistake blinded Cleopas. And can I just say, when, when Dawkins or, or any other person for that matter comes to the issue of whether Christianity is true or not, well, each one of us has a vested interest in it being false. We don't like being told that we have sinned and need to be rescued. We all wear a pair of spectacles which warps everything we see. Nobody is neutral, none of us. To think that we can somehow objectively weigh up the evidence that we see with our eyes without any bias or prejudice is a very blind place to be indeed. These disciples were mistaken about Jesus. But is there any hope for us? If we all wear the wrong set of glasses, if we're all somehow blinded and, and unable to access reality, can we ever truly see? Is there any hope for us? This takes us to our final mistake. Lastly, a mistake about Scripture. It seems these two disciples have been using Scripture a bit like a box of celebrations. They have been picking and choosing the chocolates they like most and had left all the Mars bars at the bottom. Their search for the Messiah was incomplete because they were selective about how they read the Scriptures. But in verse 27, Jesus tells them how to use Scripture. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning him. Scripture points us to Christ, to the suffering first and then glory later kind of Christ. In fact, Scripture and Christ work together. Scripture points us to Christ and, and Christ helps us to understand Scripture. But without Christ, we cannot understand Scripture. And used correctly, Scripture gives us a new pair of glasses I don't know if you ever tried watching the new 3D TVs. Uh, the picture is incredibly blurry and very hard to focus on, very annoying to watch. It's all just out of focus. But if you put on the right pair of glasses, suddenly the, the, the image is crystal clear. And in a way, if we come to Scripture through the lens of Christ, then Scripture gives us that new vision of reality. It is how we are to understand ourselves, the world, and Jesus. It deals with our own spiritual blind spots and our own bias and prejudice. It is the true pair of glasses we all need to truly see and believe. And as Christ opens up the scriptures, well, verse 32, the disciples look back and say, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? 
they were, given a, they were given a new set of glasses to understand reality and their hearts burned within them with a sense of truth and joy and rightness as they understood for the first time reality and how scripture showed them the way. The application, I think, is straightforward for us. We must be people of the scriptures. We must not be people who come to God and say, this is what I think. But rather, we should come to scripture and say, God, what do you think? How should I change? What, what areas of my life am I getting wrong? Where are my blind spots? Show me, help me. And Christ is the key to our interpretation. He is the key that unlocks scripture. If we humbly come to scripture with Christ at the center, we will see, our eyes will be opened. The journey comes to a completion. They have a final meal together and as Christ breaks the bread, their eyes are finally opened. They see who he is. Probably an echo back to when Christ fed the 5,000 and broke the bread. But the journey was key. Christ had been showing them how they misunderstood death and his mission and scripture. Their eyes are opened and they rush back to Jerusalem and verse 34, the cry goes up. It is true, the Lord has risen. If only we could see then we would believe. I, I guess, in some sense, we are all on a journey of faith, like those early disciples, moving from blindness to sight. And yes, it'll mean looking at the eyewitness accounts and grappling with history and, and seeing how it all fits together. But there is a spiritual side to the journey as we move from blindness to sight, as Scripture speaks to us of reality. And for each of us, as we journey with Christ, as we seek to know him better and grow in our faith, we can be confident that the risen Lord Jesus is walking with us on the journey. And he will open our eyes day by day as we humbly follow him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd help us on our spiritual journeys as we seek to understand and follow Christ, whether we are new and just starting out or whether we've been walking with Christ for many years, please show us afresh the beauty of Christ. Show us what it means to follow him and give us a fresh love of the scriptures for they open our eyes and help us see. Father, may we be those who increasingly see you See reality. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.